Hello and welcome back to the We Don't Want to Grow Up podcast. We're Stacy and Pete, and we are so happy to have you back with us again. Our month of love. It is the month of love. Every month is a month of love in our world. Oh yes, but these are our love episodes. <laughs> Before we get into the movie that we are covering this week, it's time for another amazing member of the We Don't Want to Grow Up community to come forward to the front of the class. It's time for a little show and tell. That's right. One of our favorites, Mary Beth, saved my bacon during our break, catching our broken Patreon episode that I forgot to upload. That's right. She let us know. Yeah. That was really a test and she passed. So good job. (laughs) So Mary Beth is 44. She was born in 1977 and she let us know some of her favorites. She filled out the questionnaire we sent and here we go. So her favorite movie from the 80s is Back to the Future. Favorite song from the 80s, Thriller by Michael Jackson. Favorite 90s movie is Clueless. And her favorite 90s song is Rush Rush by Paula Abdul. Very good choices. I love that song. The toy she loved most as a child were her Barbies. Her favorite game, she said, I loved playing Monopoly when I was a kid. My older brother would help me with the money because I was too young to really play. For books, she said, I loved the Fear Street books. I wonder if she liked the movies that just came out. Yeah, I wonder. Hmm. Her favorite place to go in the mall, Orange Julius, which I've never been to. Oh, I miss it so much. She said she loved getting a banana Julius, which I don't ever think that I got. Really? I think I only got orange. Now I want to try all the flavors. And she also shared with us a fond memory from her childhood. Having friends on my street and the street behind me. Every day in the summer, we would play all day. My friends would yell for me to come out because they couldn't come in the yard because our dog was mean. (laughs) Funny to think that we rarely called each other. We just came over. We made up so many fun games. We used to make my friend Jennifer's sister, Nicole, marry their neighbor, Jason. (laughs) We would get dressed up, and I always was the one that married them. (laughs) We had them do this multiple times, and I don't think either one of them wanted to (laughs) Wanted to, but we were older, so they listened to us. That's great. This made me laugh so hard because in my neighborhood, I was the one that was being made to marry my next door neighbor, Rob. (laughs) And our older sisters were the ones that put it all together. And we we had a huge neighborhood wedding in our playroom. And I mean, they had all the chairs set up. (laughs) I remember... People dressed up and they put a like a half slip on my head yeah. for a veil. Are there any photos of this? I, you know, I have not seen them. I feel like Rob's mom had mentioned that she has pictures like a long time ago. Yeah. But I've never seen them. I would love to see them. Uh, me too. Yeah. One thing that Mary Beth brought up that's fun to think about is your friends just coming over. Yeah. I can remember hearing like my friends knock on the metal screen door. My parents would go there, can Pete come out to play? It's like so unexpected, but you're like, yes. Yep. Just kind of tear past them. You like drop everything and yeah, go. Exactly. I would hate that now. Now I need plans. Oh, you do need plans. 
but it would lead to such like fun and adventure I know. and for everything unplanned. Yeah, it was the best. It'd be amazing. Thank you, Mary Beth. Yes, thank you. If you'd like to be featured in our show and tell segment, DM us on Instagram or email us at we don't want to grow up pod at gmail.com and we'll get a questionnaire to you. You can either fill it out and we'll read it or you can send us a clear voice recording and we'll play it on the show. We will. It's movie time. This week we watched the 1986 rom com Pretty in Pink. So this is, of course, considered a Brat Pack movie. Yes. It's about Andy, who is pretty much an outcast at her high school. She mostly hangs out with her older boss, who owns the record store where she works, or her friend, Ducky, who has an unrequited crush on her. When Blaine, one of the rich, popular guys at school, becomes interested in Andy, she's cautious, but intrigued. Things are going well until the pressures of dating someone from a different social class and a different friend group start to get to them. I read a quote from Molly in Interview Magazine where she said, it's about pride and honor and respecting who you are. I thought that was an interesting way to look at it. Right. Because it is, it's almost like you don't, especially for her, she was torn because she didn't want to make it seem like she was trying to be something she wasn't or... Right. I don't know. But also she was kind of hiding who she was in a way too. She was like proud of who she was, but then. Wouldn't let him drop her off at her house. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously this movie was written by the late, great John Hughes, who was also a co-executive producer. And it was directed by Howard Deutsch, who also directed John Hughes's Some Kind of Wonderful. And that is actually where he met his wife, Leah Thompson. Is it really? I didn't realize this. So I had, I perked up when I saw the name Howard Deutsch because I was like, oh, I wonder just because of the time, you know, in the 80s, I know that Leah Thompson's daughter is, one of her daughters is Zoe Deutsch. And I've always wondered where that Uh, name came from. Yeah. And I clicked on Howard's name and saw Spouse. Leah Thompson. Nice. So that's that's where they met. And they, they didn't get together right away, I think. But they are still together today. It was also produced by Lauren Schuler Donner, who is the wife of the late Richard Donner. Yes. So the cast, we have Molly Ringwald as Andy Walsh and Harry Dean Stanton as Jack Walsh, who played her father. And he passed away in 2017 at the age of 91. Mm. I feel like he looked the same age. For a long time. For a long time. Mm -hmm. We have John Cryer as Philip F. Ducky Dale (laughs) and Annie Potts as Iona. James Spader as Steph McKee. Love him. (laughs) He's being sarcastic. (laughs) And Andrew McCarthy as Blaine McDonough. Kate Vernon as Benny Hansen and Andrew Dice Clay as Bouncer or The (laughs) Bouncer or is his name Bouncer? (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, Christy Swanson had a very small part at the end of the movie, and they gave her the name Duckette (laughs) because she's the one that is like paying attention to Ducky. Right. And giving everyone hope that Ducky will be okay. And then we have Alexa Keenan, who played Jenna Homan. And she actually, this was so shocking to me because I had never heard about this, but she passed away in 1985 before Pretty in Pink was released. So it was like shortly after they wrapped filming. Wow. She was only 23. And from what I read, her cause of death has never been released to the public. But of course, there's a lot of speculation. But apparently the cast was told that it was like an allergic reaction to an asthma inhaler. 
But then later, like years later, John Cryer had said he heard that she was murdered by her boyfriend. And then others said that it was an accidental heroin overdose. So a lot of intrigue uh, and mystery. Big there. That's mystery. crazy. Yeah. She's so young. I know. So sad. Yeah. And finally, we have Dweezil Zappa as Simon and Gina Gershon as Trombley. Trombley. Like, who comes up with that name? Yeah. All right. So it's time for our favorite part. It's time for some fun facts. <laughs> and no one has yet to send in a song. So very disappointing. No songs. <laughs> this movie came to be because Molly Ringwald asked John Hughes to write a movie based on the psychedelic furs song, Pretty in Pink, which was her favorite song at the time. The psychedelic furs re-recorded the song for the movie's soundtrack. I never knew that. It's crazy, too, that John Hughes could just write a movie based on a song. He was such a prolific writer. I had read somewhere that the psychedelic furs said that they felt like John Hughes kind of misinterpreted what the song was about, but... I'm not even going to get into that because I, I don't know. It's who okay. Cares? It it's was his, his interpretation. Yes, of it. exactly. Another fun fact that I didn't know, Molly and Dweezil Zappa started dating when she found out that he was cast for the movie. So they had already known each other because she was friends with his sister, Moon. But she was dating Anthony Michael Hall at the time when she met Dweezil. Dweezil was 15 and she was 16 when they first started dating and it lasted about a year. It's funny, too, that they decide to start dating because they were in a movie together and that she so quickly dumped poor Anthony Michael Hall. Well, it doesn't mean that she dumped him for him. Sounds I'm not like sure she how did. that worked. That's how Hollywood wanna... works. I know. Okay, <laughs> I know. What's funny is I saw a bunch of pictures of the two of them being really cute yeah. together. And to me, they look like they're like 25, but they were 15 and 16. That's crazy because that's like the opposite of what normally occurs in these movies. Maybe that's why Molly was so popular at the time, because she did look older. Yeah. But she, you know, she had the look of somebody in their 20s, but she was actually in her teens. Yeah. So I feel like she was being very authentic. Charlie Sheen was considered for the role of Blaine, but Ringwald convinced them to cast McCarthy instead. wonder what was up with that. I don't know. I mean, who knows? I think, you know, with John Hughes, I, I think Molly pretty much got her way, at least... That's how it feels from some of the research we've done for several of his movies. Right. But I'm sure this one, maybe she cared a little bit more about casting because it was for her in a way. Right. Or and she just honestly, didn't like, like Charlie Sheen. I don't know. Yeah. And you think about Charlie Sheen in that role. He looks like too much of a bad boy. Right. Where that's not what Blaine really is. True. So Anthony Michael Hall turned down the role of Ducky because he didn't want to be typecast. Good choice. And That's he felt, choice. too, like it would it would just be another 16 Candles. Like yeah. if, if he played the quote unquote nice nerdy guy. And who can't get the girl. Who can't get Molly Ringwald. And she chooses someone else, you know. I wonder if he regrets it now. I don't know. Maybe they'd still be together. Could be. <laughs> Jennifer Beals turned down the role of Andy. And Jodie Foster, Sarah Jessica Parker, Tatum O'Neill, and Lori Laughlin were all also considered for that role. Wow. They got it right, though. Like, you can't beat Molly Ringwald in this role. It's Perfect. kind of interesting that there even would have been a consideration. I mean, maybe Molly wasn't sure she wanted to do it. She just wanted him to make the movie. I don't know. I feel, I feel like I, I need to, like, see her talking about that yeah. a little bit more. James Spader was offered the role of Blaine, but he chose to take the role of Steph instead because he found it more fun to play the villain. Blaine, are we going to go shoot Trap or what? <laughs> He does play the dickish rich dude perfectly. Agreed. 
So originally, Andy and Ducky ended up together, but test audiences actually started booing that ending. (laughs) So John Hughes wrote a five-page ending where Andy and Blaine get together instead. The new ending was shot several months after filming had wrapped, and Andrew McCarthy was then in pre-production for a stage play. He had lost weight, and this is something that I noticed, and had cut his hair for the role. So that's a wig in the final scene. Because yeah. I remember looking at it, I was like, what is wrong with his hair? <laughs> it's it distracting. Like, it like fluffs out on the side where it didn't previously. I was like, he had nice hair before. <laughs> And Molly said that she wasn't surprised at the audience's reaction because she said, quote, it didn't make sense to have the entire movie be this Cinderella story, yet she doesn't get to end up with the guy she wants. And she also said that Ducky was actually based on her best friend who was gay. So she said they, quote, had an extremely non-romantic relationship. Yeah. And John Cryer said he didn't play that role that way, but I believe it's like a gay icon at this point or that's yeah, what I've heard. I, I didn't realize that either, but I mean, they didn't really write a lot of openly gay characters back then. That's so. true. Yeah. I don't know. I, that's why I think it's interesting that he was originally supposed to end up with Molly if he was meant to be based on her gay best friend. Yeah, very true. And Molly's point is valid. Like you're going through this whole journey, building up this relationship between these two and then it doesn't pay off, which to me is fun because I like those kind of endings. But from an audience expectation standpoint, they want that payoff. Well, and the thing is, is I believe Ducky is a very loved character, but there was no romantic buildup there. So it would have been weird. Well, not from her side. Exactly. But that's why it would have been weird for her to all of a sudden be like, oh, okay, you'll do. You know what I mean? Like if they had shown a little bit of her maybe having a slight interest in him or seeing him in a different way. Right. But she never did. Yeah. They never built that part of it. And it's like, well, if they got together 10 years from now, if they were still together, they wouldn't be in love, most likely. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I could have been on board with, you know, an unconventional ending, but Mm -hmm. they definitely would have needed to have a little bit of groundwork there. Yeah. They had to have built up to it in some way. Yes. And they didn't. John Cryer actually said that he was shocked that the test audiences didn't like the ending because he felt like the whole film was built around Andy and Ducky ending up together. But he knew that that's how it was supposed to go. Yeah, but I feel like that's him kind of being Ducky because it was not building up to them being together. It was like delusional. Yes, him wanting them to be together, but being delusional about the fact that She doesn't like you like that. Yeah, I'm sure that was disheartening, too, to feel like you're the leading man of, you know, you're in a leading role and you're actually just the best friend. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think he had a bigger role than just the best friend, but you know what I mean. Right. He didn't get the girl. Exactly. So Hughes aimed to protect Ducky's character in the ending by having the other girl at the prom show interest in him, I guess, so that everyone can see, like I said before, that there's still hope for him. Paramount executives were nervous about the original ending because they didn't want it to be perceived as classist and suggest that wealthy people and poor people should not interact because that's that's what it was. That's a good point too. It is. Because it would kind of just be like, uh, we weren't meant to be because I'm not good enough for you yeah, (laughs) or you're not good enough for me or whatever. Right. Because there's dents in my car and my house isn't as nice as yours. Right. I think people are always going to lean more towards the star-crossed lovers situation where maybe it's like Romeo and Juliet yes like you're not meant to be together or it doesn't seem like you're meant to be together but you can defy all of that and right. still be together orchestral maneuvers in the dark wrote if you leave in less than 24 hours for the newly reshot ending 
It was originally going to be their song, Goddess of Love, Mm. but they changed it. And I'm not sure why they changed it. Maybe people didn't like the song either, but I'm glad they changed it. Yeah. And I've never heard Goddess of Love, actually, so I can't say for sure, but I just don't think it could be as good as If You Leave. I'm going to go on a limb and say it's not. (laughs) Ringwald also wanted Robert Downey Jr. to be cast as Ducky, but once the ending was changed, agreed that Cryer made more sense. (laughs) Which I feel like is a pretty low blow to John Cryer. It is a bit of a it's low like, blow. It's like, well, uh, it would have been more believable if it was someone that was hotter. Yeah. Is what she's saying, essentially. Well, listen, she was 16 years old. So. I know. But like, you're an actor. But I feel like she was saying, like, I wouldn't be attracted to him, but I would be attracted to Robert Denny Jr. <laughs> so I would have been OK with that ending. And audiences would have been OK if I ended up with him because... He's more charismatic or whatever. Are we finding out that Molly Ringwald was not acting? She was just being herself. (laughs) She just wanted to make out with people. Yes. That she found attractive. (laughs) No, I don't know. Or maybe she just really didn't like John Cryer. It could be. Which I did read something that said that she and Andrew McCarthy found him to be annoying. Yeah. Listen, you know my feelings on that subject. I don't know if the podcast does or not, but I agree. You're not a big John Cryer fan. I'm not. Because of his character of Ducky. No. That's not fair, because when you finally watch this movie, you realize that Ducky is not as annoying as you thought. Now, he is annoying in the beginning of the movie. He is the most annoying character in the movie. But there are spots where I like him, but I hate. Listen, and this is some people's favorite scene. I hate his dance scene. I hate all of the annoying stuff that he does. But then when he sticks up for Andy, he brings me around. Okay, so he does bring me around. In the end, at times. Very unpopular opinion, but Absolutely, you're allowed but to I have own it. it. I own it. I don't care. Well, normally, I I, like... normally, I won't stick my neck out like that, but I will here. I know, but my problem was that you've always said that without even watching the movie fully. All the way through. Right. I've watched many parts of the movie. Yeah, but yeah. to just be so adamant in your hatred of Ducky. Well, he annoyed me, and I didn't quite grasp his journey. You didn't get when to I was see younger. the depth. Yes. I will say, though, like, when he keeps setting that alarm off oh at the gosh. record store. Oh, slap him. Yeah, I am. I mean, he annoyed me there, too. Like, yeah. I, I couldn't take it. Like, knock it off, bro. This is a moment and you're ruining it. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. He did. So the film was adapted into a novel, which was written by H.B. Gilmore and Randy Reesfield. It was released in 1986. So it was written before the last scene was changed. So it had the original ending where Andy ends up with Ducky instead of Blaine. I kind of want to read that. I know. And I'm like, hey, if you're one of those people that was disappointed and wanted her to end up with Ducky, just go read the book. There's a book there for you. It's like fan fiction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The scene where Ducky gets thrown into the girl's bathroom and he looks at the tampon machine and says, we don't have a candy machine in the boys room. That was all ad libbed by John Cryer. I thought that was fun. Yeah, that was a good scene. So Ducky's famous dance which you love. (laughs) My favorite. (laughs) Was originally set to the song State of Shock by Mick Jagger and Michael Jackson. Hmm. But they couldn't get the rights to the song. So that's when they changed it to Try a Little Tenderness by Otis Redding. I don't remember State of Shock. I know. Let's listen to it here. Well, that's not one I've ever heard before. I know. It's fun, though. Yeah, it is. It actually says it's the Jackson 5, so Mm. I don't know. But Mm. anyway, John Cryer apparently suggested both songs. So did he? That's kind of fun that they let him pick which one he was going to do this big scene to. I'll say this. I couldn't have done what he did there. It was a good dance. It's kind of a Ferris Bueller moment, right? It was, yeah. Which came out first. Ferris Bueller, didn't it? 
think so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was also 86. Oh my gosh, which one came out first? I don't know. I guess John Hughes was just into musical numbers. Yeah. Or musical moments. A lot more coming up, but first let me tell you all the ways you can reach us. Hit us up on Instagram at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod. We're on TikTok at We Don't Want to Grow Up. Do you want that extra content? Come on over to Patreon. Patreon.com slash We Don't Want to Grow Up. And if you feel like making some fellow nostalgia loving friends, you can come join our Facebook group. It's called the Cozy Club dash fans of We Don't Want to Grow Up. Fire us off an email at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod at gmail.com. And please, please, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or any other platforms where you're listening. And a kind review, if that's how you feel. And you can also help by sharing about it on your social media or by word of mouth with anybody that you think might like it. Okay, favorite moments. I'm going to kick us off. Kick us off. (laughs) (laughs) All right, number one, it's a Ducky moment. Ducky letting Steph have it in the hallway. Ah. I really thought Ducky was about to get smoked. But he basically kicked the F out of Steph, (laughs) and he absolutely won that fight. My only problem with it is after the fight's over and Duck's running down the hallway, he jumps up and tears that banner down. And listen, Duck, those banners don't make themselves. A bunch of kids spent a bunch of time making that banner. That was absolutely, utterly unnecessary. (laughs) He said that when we were watching it, too. He's like, some people worked on that really hard. They did. I'm thinking about the people... You know, together in the gym with these banners on the floor, making their banner like, oh, what can we write? All the design that went into it. Like, oh, go get the glitter, get the glue, get the markers. They probably spend an hour making that. And he just tears it down like it's nothing. You're so thoughtful. Yeah, (laughs) I am. All right. My first one, the whole thing when Blaine first comes into the record store and he and Andy are just making eyes at each other. It just feels very relatable and realistic. And like, I feel my stomach tighten up because I just remember that feeling. I never did that. If I made eye contact with a girl, I immediately looked away and never looked back. (laughs) Never again? No, never again. I don't know. I just really loved it because it's like they know each other from school, but they don't really know each other. Yeah. But I think they both have a feeling. There's a spark and they have a feeling that the other one is also interested. But he's just kind of feeling it out. And I mean, honestly, I just love I love that part before they even talk, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously more happens after that. But it's a good moment. Yes. All right. My second one. Another Ducky moment. <laughs> Who, Who knew? knew? <laughs> when Ducky gets tossed into the ladies room and then says the following. The boys, wait a minute. We don't got none of this. We don't got doors on the stalls in the boys. Room. We don't have what is this? We don't have a candy machine in the boys. room. We don't got none of that. None of that. I'm sorry. No, I want the principal here. I want him here this instant. Now. I love that he's just freaking out and won't leave. And it's even better to find out that a lot of it, if not all of it, was ad-libbed. I know. Because it's great. And everybody's just like, get out of here. (laughs) My second one is a ducky moment. It's when he and Andy are studying in her bedroom and she leaves to go get some drinks. And he's laying there on her bed talking to himself. And he's trying to work up the courage to tell her how he feels. I love this woman. I love this woman, and I have to tell her. And if she laughs, she laughs. And if she doesn't love me, she doesn't love me. But if if I don't find out, oh, I love her too much. And then he goes on to sing a little bit of John Lennon's song, Love. Mm -hmm. And Andy can hear him singing through the vents. And she's laughing. But she gets back to the room. He just takes off. He chickens out. Chickened out. 
But I really liked this because I felt like it was where we start to see the real Ducky for the first time. And he's really quite charming. Like a little bit of vulnerability instead of all the act. Right. Yeah, I can see that. My third favorite moment, Andy being allowed into a bar. (laughs) Just like it's not a thought. It's cool. She's allowed into the bar because movie and her (laughs) friends in there who's the same age. Well, I don't know if it's because Iona goes there and maybe they know Iona the bouncer. Yeah. Or just because she's a, a girl. To me, it's John Hughes writing his teenagers as adults. And I feel like he always did that. Like, he definitely does that with Andy in this movie. Yeah. She is the adult of the movie. Oh, for sure. She's definitely the adult in the situation with her dad. Absolutely. Did you ever know a teenager like that? Uh, not in my close knit group of friends. Yeah, I never knew one. Like everybody says, Hughes writes teenagers so well. I agree with that, except for this. That to me, like Ferris Bueller, Andy in this movie, those kind of things where they're the adult in the family. I never witnessed that. So I don't think that's authentic, but everything else he does- You think Ferris Bueller is the adult in the family? Yeah, he kind of runs the show. Oh, well, but that's, I think that's just more of like a kid being spoiled. Maybe. And my third one, I love when Iona- tries on her prom dress. She gets all decked out because she's feeling jealous, like hearing that Andy's going to prom and she's kind of reliving her prom experience. Yeah. You know, she's like forcing Andy to slow dance with her and Andy's <laughs> like, I gotta go. And she's like, just let the song finish. <laughs> it was just a sweet moment. Yeah, and Iona's a fun character overall. She is. My first HM, I enjoy how uncomfortable it is when Blaine and Andy go to that party and they run into Steph and Benny. And for some reason, Blaine thinks putting all four of them together is going to go well. It doesn't. You enjoy that? Spoiler alert. I I loved how authentic that scene felt. Because going into it, you're like, this is not going to go well. This is going to be uncomfortable. The whole time I was just like, why are you? She told you she doesn't want to go and you're just dragging her here. It's a very teen thing to do, though. Ugh. Teens would do that kind of thing. Be like, it's going to be fine. Listen, it wasn't Blaine. fine. Yeah, it wasn't fine. The first time the one girl like makes fun of her pearls or something. Yeah. He should have walked out then. Exactly. They're like He should have taken her hand and walked right back out of that party. Yep. Here's one thing, though. Like, I've known a bunch of rich kids. I've hung out with a bunch of rich kids. I'm not a rich kid. They were never that mean, at least from what I saw. Although there were like certain things that would matter to them that wouldn't matter to people that weren't in the same social circle. I don't know that there was that much of a huge divide like that at my school. I mean, I think there were definitely kids that were more upper class, but not like that. Not not to that level. Right. You know, they weren't wearing like button downs and I don't know. It just felt different. Like the rich kids at my school were like partiers. And although I will say I don't know, nobody acted differently towards me. Yeah. But I don't know how they acted towards people who were less fortunate than me. Right. Yeah. I I wasn't to their level. Yeah. But I wasn't poor either. The outfit in my time, at least around the kids that were well-heeled, was like salmon colored shorts and, <laughs> yeah. you know, a polo of some kind. With yeah, that's boat probably shoes. That's the uniform there. At my that was the too. uniform that yeah. changed from the 80s. That's I think. true. I guess I'm just saying they're not dressed like Steph. Yeah, they weren't dressed like Steph. With their open chest button down. <laughs> His shirts were always unbuttoned. So funny. Yeah. Do we have any rich kids in the audience? And, and were you an asshole? Were you an asshole? 
uncle in <laughs> any way, shape or form like this in any different way than, you know, non-rich kids. Because, listen, I could be an asshole. No, never. As a kid. <laughs> now I am super sweet. You are super sweet. All right. My first HN. <laughs> this makes me laugh because I had made notes in my phone when we were watching and all I wrote down <laughs> with strong lips. Strong and I was like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, maybe it's because <laughs> we kept talking about how the kisses between yes. Blaine and Andy looked very awkward. Like, very awkward. I, I really do like Andrew McCarthy, but to me in this movie, he looks like a bad kisser. He looked like an extremely bad kisser. Like, but, what are you doing, my man? <laughs> I was re-watching some scenes earlier, and then I remembered why I wrote down strong lips. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's when Andy goes to see Iona, and Iona wants to hear all about her date. You know, Andy tells her that they kissed, and Iona's like, does he have strong lips? Really? Yeah. And Andy's like, how can you tell? And she's like, did you feel it in your knees? And she's <laughs> like, I felt it everywhere. So I thought that was funny. And then she okay. goes on to talk about her kiss with Ducky. Because remember, Ducky kissed her. Oh, yeah, that's right. And she's like, I know I'm old enough to be his mother, but I swear to God, my thighs just went up in flames. <laughs> I remember that. It's like he <laughs> must practice on melons or something. <laughs> <laughs> I also have to go back real quick and say that when Iona is uh, wearing her prom dress and she says, Oh, why can't we start old and get younger? Mm -hmm. That is a good line. Relatable line. Yeah, very relatable. All right. My next HM, when Andy is freaking out on Blaine in the hallway at school, she's like waiting at his locker because he has completely ghosted her. Yes. I thought it was really well acted again by the both of them. It felt real. It's like, that's what it would have felt like if you ghosted Andy. And I like that she didn't let him slide. No. She's going to call him out. Yep. She doesn't care if people are around or not. Mm -hmm. he's, he's like, Shh, you know, blah, blah. nope. Yeah, it was good. It was really good acting. And I mean, how can I not mention the ending with If You Leave? Not a big fan of her dress, though. Ditto. We were, we were talking about that. Yes. I don't mind the top part, like the neck and the shoulders. But then it's just... It's so straight. Yeah, it's not form-fitting. And so, therefore, it just is not that flattering. Yeah. I mean, I guess for the 80s, there were a lot of, like, drop-waist dresses. But There were. And they said, like, her style in this movie was pretty much based on Molly Ringwald's style at the time. Ah, uh, well, there you go. She must have been into I don't the know. bag look. <laughs> and my final HM, along those lines, the montage where Andy is making her dress. Yeah. I've never quite understood the purpose of making those simple, simple drawings of fashion, you know, but mm -hmm. everybody seems to do it. So it must happen somewhere. It has to be more intricate than that for actual designers, I would think. It's got to be, right? <laughs> I mean, in the movies, it's not. It, weren't you saying like this is where you wanted to see like an SNL skit <laughs> yes. where it was just like a stick figure? <laughs> well, it's like you don't see what she's drawing and she's like doing all this stuff. You know, she like turns it around. It's literally just a stick figure with <laughs> a you know, triangle. How I would have drawn a, dress, <laughs> yeah, a triangle. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh. <gasps> <laughs> and they see the dress and they're like, it looks just like it. Just like that. <laughs> and then my last HM kind of goes along with that as well. Because I 
I loved most of Andy's outfits, though. Mm-hmm. I thought they were fun. And the fact that she made them all made it unique. You right. know, like her dad asking her, oh, how much did this one cost you? And he wanted her to model and show him, you know, and she's like, oh, $15 for the shoes that were hand-me-downs. And I made the rest, you know, and it's like, wow. And it's a very intricate. It's not like it, nothing is simple. There's no. And he's very proud of her. He's a very supportive father. Yes, I will say that. But nothing can beat the way that Iona reinvented herself every single time we saw her. Style icon. I love her. She's iconic. I feel like we could dress up as Iona together for Halloween. We could. And crush it. Ooh, which version would you be? The one where she's hanging the records. Oh, the, like the punk version. Yes, the punk version. That's a fun one. I kind of think I might want to be the prom dress one with like the yes. big beehive. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. <laughs> you in a beehive in that dress? Oh, that would be so much fun. Let's do it. We will. All right. I would like to hear some songs that you would pick from 1986. 1986 was a good year. It was tough to narrow it down. I'm going with Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. I got down to that song back then, and I can still get down to that song now. (laughs) Good job by Peter Gabriel. I forget how good of an artist he is. Yeah. Have you ever been with me at a Dave show? Dave Matthews Band, when they did Sledgehammer, they do a Sledgehammer cover. Well, it's usually probably later in the show, so you would have to tell me. (laughs) If if I was, I got down to it. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) The first one I picked is True Blue by Madonna. This one, I remember having my sister's blue single Mm -hmm. record record with this song on it. And then like last year or whatever, I bought a version of it myself. And it's blue. And it's blue. And then last month when I was at my mom's, I found a bunch of records and I found the actual original one that was my sister's. Nice. And now it's yours. (laughs) Sorry, Kelly. Did Kelly climb up into the attic and pull it out? No, I did. (laughs) Well, if Kelly was listening to this episode, then maybe she can call me out on it. Yeah. But chances of that happening, slim to none. Zero point zero. (laughs) But it is an 80s teen flick, so she might, because I think she listened to our Brat Pack trivia episode. Did she? Yeah. (laughs) What a random episode to listen to. Well, she liked the Brat Pack movies. (laughs) She's the one that introduced me to the Brat Pack. That's wonderful. We love you, Kelly, if you're listening to this one. But you're not getting the record. I'll give you your record back, okay? No. I'm going to switch it out with the one I bought on eBay. That's right. (laughs) Or, you know, we'll put it back up in the attic and you go get it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, she's got the ladder. She probably could. (laughs) All right. My second one, Kenny Loggins from the wonderful movie Top Gun. Danger Zone. good one yes i cannot wait for maverick to come out later this year that movie has been notoriously delayed due to covid right i'm excited to watch it i don't know what it's going to be like but i do know that tom cruise will fly a real jet oh wow which is wild 
Well, at least he'll be in it while it's flying, but it sure looks like he's flying it. And I think he is because he does a lot of his own stuff. I'm just not sure how he would get a hold of a $40 million jet and be allowed to fly it. But I guess we'll see. Well, it is a movie. There's other monies behind it. There is. I'm going to have to go read up about it. (laughs) Well, maybe we can cover Top Gun around the time that Maverick is coming out. Giving me a gift. I mean, I loved Top Gun. The music is just playing in my head right now. All right. And my last one, (laughs) this one is a little cheesy choice, but it's Somewhere Out There by Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram from An American Tale. I chose it because I freaking loved that movie. Mm-hmm. I loved Fible. Every time I hear this song, I kind of want to cry, but in a good way. Just sweet memories. I remember my younger sisters repeatedly watching this movie in particular. Mm-hmm. So I do know the song. I had a stuffed Fible. That's one that I would like to. Uh, did you? That's one that I was hoping to find in the attic, mm. but did not. Did not. Well, that's it. That was fun. Great movie. Great discussion. It's great to be here with you. A reminder. To send us your fun, nostalgic stories. If you have stories to share about the following topics, please DM us or send us an email with all of the details. Anything Valentine's Day related, first love, first date, first kiss, first school dance, heartbreak, all of it. We just recorded a a few episodes with a bunch of listener stories, some hilarious, some heartbreaking. Yes. Uh, So grab your tissues before you listen. Mm -hmm. But all wonderful. Thank you to everybody who shared their stories with us. Who did you first give one of those little candy hearts that say like, I love you too? Or what what were those messages on them? You know what the hearts I'm talking about? Yeah, the candy hearts. Candy hearts. (laughs) I, I heart you. Be mine. Yeah, be mine was a big one. I can't remember what all they would say. I know they tasted like chalk. And would they be like yes or no or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, when I was in elementary school, you would give a Valentine to everyone. You'd get like a class list. Your parents would get a class list. Yeah. And you'd have you'd to bring hand them all Valentines out. and then you pass them out like the shoebox. We probably did that shoe too. Boxes. They still do it. I did it as a teacher too. You had like the little tiny, the small envelopes and the small cards. Yeah. And you'd have the little slit in the box yeah. and put it in there. Mm. Good time. I forgot about that. Good memory. I was also voted Valentine's Queen almost every year in elementary school in my class. I was voted Valentine's Overlord <laughs> every year. <laughs> he was so serious too when he said that. Ow. <laughs> my hip popped. Oh, my hip. Oh, my hip. Oh, oh my hip just popped. <laughs> also, embarrassing moments. The shit your siblings told you when you were a kid that you believed all those fun, wild stories, stories of how you met your childhood friends or your neighbors, how you all met, the trouble you got into, the sweet memories that you shared, prank stories, you know, rolling yards and I don't know. Other hijinks. (laughs) And Pete's favorite. I mean, my favorite too, but he was really, really wanting these to still come in, not just at Halloween. Spooky stories. Keep them coming. You have any good ghost stories for us? Let us know. He loves making the soundtrack to those. It's my favorite. (laughs) Thank you all for participating and thanks for being here. 
We'll see you next time. Peace.